1: A big weekend for the Buccaneers. They're at Pittsburgh against a struggling Steelers team. Mike Tomlin has never had a losing season, which is an accomplishment that really got to take a step back. I mean, uh, I asked Todd Bowles about this the other day. He said it's really unbelievable. You know, as good as that organization is, and of course they've had, you know, what, three coaches in 50-something years with Chuck Knoll and Bill Cowher and now Mike Tomlin. But even the, even the organizational stability or a franchise quarterback, which is a big part of it, like Ben Roethlisberger, it's still hard to, to have that level of, of consistency and success. He's been to two Super Bowls. He's a first ballot Hall of Fame coach, I think. But we'll have to see when his career is over. But right now, Steve, it is not a good time to be a Steelers fan. They have uh, quarterback issues, and mm-hmm. I think this guy that they drafted, Kenny Pickett, is going to be really good. Uh, I think he's going to have to go through a lot of hard times, and, and that certainly began last week. You know, it was tough. They were playing the Buffalo Bills, and and they gave him that start, and the Bills just went nuts on offense and got him way behind. Um, but you know what? I watched some of the plays. He hung in there against the Blitz. He hung in there and kept throwing the ball. And, you know, I mean, they got throttled. It, it, it was, it was a, a defensive problem as much as anything. But uh, it, it's going to be – I think the Steelers are going to be okay. I just don't think they're going to be okay this Sunday. This is the Bucks' chance now to have a run of maybe three straight wins. They had the win over against Atlanta, which was probably harder than expected. Now Pittsburgh on the road. Carolina on the road. Their head coach, Matt Rule, is fired. Um, Baker Mayfield's going to be out. You're going to be down to your backup quarterback. And then they come home on a Thursday night, and they play the Baltimore Ravens, which is a really, really good team, obviously, with Lamar Jackson. So a chance to get healthy, but it starts with this game.
0: It really does. And and you know, we talked about remember the Bucks last season and the issues that they had on defense because their secondary was so banged up Mm -hmm. and everybody was out. We always talk about in the NFL you're gonna have injuries. That's what football is. Yeah. Don't have them all at one position. Yeah. And the Steelers have that. So the Bucks need to take advantage of that this week. Absolutely. I mean, you know, Tom Brady should be able to pick that defense apart if those guys aren't playing. He should.
1: And, and, you know, Brady has had two 350-yard-plus days throwing the football. He's third in the league in passing yards. I thought that this would not be the year that he would be in that mix. Well, he's in that mix. And the pass attempts are up as well because I think they've realized that, you know, the best thing we do is throw the football, and they're going to have to find ways to protect. But, you know, this is a different Steelers defense. They don't get as much pressure on the quarterback. Really, the strength of their team might be their secondary in many ways. But to your point, Meek and Fitzpatrick, who's one of their best players, he's not practiced because of a knee injury. Cameron Smith is out with a hamstring. Levi Wallace had a concussion. You don't know what he's going to be by Sunday, if he'll be eligible to play. Their cornerback, Akello Witherspoon, has a hamstring. And even their safety, Terrell Edmonds, is questionable. That's the entire secondary, uh, with the exception of maybe one player. And so we saw what that did to the Bucks a year ago. They were pulling guys off the waiver wire, off the practice squad. And there may be some guys in the Bucks secondary that could be new this week as well because they have some injuries. But we, we know that at least their starting corners, Jamel Dean and Carlton Davis, are both going to play. Carlton Davis went out of that game last week with a hip injury. He was full participation in practice this week. Uh, so he should be okay. At safety, Mike Edwards has had... Uh, kind of a, a brace on his elbow uh, he hurt that in the game left the game I I don't know how healthy he'll be or if he'll be available but it uh, they think there's a chance that he could be and then of course Logan Ryan's been out with a foot injury and so we'll have to see what his his status is but you know you still have enough depth there with Antoine Winfield Jr. Um, if you needed to, you could activate a guy like Nolan Turner at safety from the practice squad it had a really good training camp, the kid from Clemson. So you have some options, you know, D Delaney who played a lot of football for this team, uh, is on the practice squad, he could be up. I, I feel much better about the buck secondary than I would about the Steelers. And again, I don't know, you know, these guys didn't practice. So, you know, this was on Wednesday. We'll see what, what they ended up doing Thursday and Friday as we tape this, uh, this podcast. But, uh, for right now, at least, it looks like, you know, kind of a, kind of a beat up secondary, but not not devastated like the Steelers are right now. As far as the Steelers go, it, it all is going to start with stopping Najee Harris. Najee Harris is a really good player, and mm-hmm. he hasn't had much help. You know, there, there's been a lot of um, focus on him um, from an offensive standpoint, and and the easiest thing to do if you got a rookie quarterback is turn and hand the ball off. But they have some really good wide receivers. Have you seen this George Pickens guy from Georgia, the second rounder?
0: Yeah, you know, they catches ninety nine percent of the balls thrown to him. Uh, he's
1: unbelievable. Yeah, he is. I mean, he's he's big, he's physical, and if there's a if there's a fifty percent ball, which there is quite a bit in the NFL, he's coming down with it. Like he is he's a hand he's a load. So I, I, I don't I don't know that it's gonna be, you know, just running shot over the Steelers offense. But I do know what what Todd Bowles is going to do and I you know there was a about a year ago I sat down with him and I was doing a story I don't know what well probably on just Todd himself before he became a head coach and we were out on the patio out there at the Bucks and we we're talking about rookie quarterbacks and I think they had played a couple of them and and he said he goes well I haven't you know and first of all you know you know he's a pressure defensive play caller anyway I mean he mm-hmm. likes to bring blitzes exotic blitzes if he can get you to third down and they've led the the nfl or been among the top teams against the run the last three years now now you're going to get something and you just don't know where it's coming from all the time so he likes to blitz he likes to bring pressure Uh, he has told me that he likes to cut your throat out that you know beneath that calm exterior he's really uh trying trying to just embarrass you but he said with rookie quarterbacks he says it's easy you bring as much pressure as you can right away and he says, and if you get them to look at the rush, if they drop that head one time, you got them. It's over, you know. And that's what he's going to do against Pickett. And, and from what I've seen about, from Kenny, he's been really good not watching the rush. But when you're getting it down after down after down the way, this is not the matchup as it wasn't last week with that Bills defense, but this is really not a good matchup for Kenny Pickett um, because he's going to get pressure package after pressure package all day long.
0: Well, this is how you learn in the NFL. You're yeah. Not gonna, you're not going to learn by watching on the sidelines. That's right. Uh, I mean, you learn some, but not, you know. I mean, that's why Pittsburgh went to him. Trubisky wasn't that effective. And so right. we might as well throw the young guy in there and, and let him learn. Let him grow. Let him see these exotic blitzes. Let him see what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. And, but if you're the Bucks, you have to take advantage of this opportunity. Oh, absolutely. I mean, you should, you should dominate the Steelers' offense. Because if yeah. you can shut down the run and they haven't been as effective this year as in the past couple of years, but they're still pretty effective. You can shut down Najee Harris, then it's going to be a long day for Pickett.
1: Yeah. And the only thing, you know, uh, just looking at back at last week, I, it, some people were asking me, I was on uh, with uh, Ronnie and T-Cres on, on DAE this week, and they they talked about how, you know, after the game, Devin White uh, mentioned how they sort of took their foot off the gas and they got bored out there. He, he used that term. and. Then there was kind of a back and forth with him and Greg Allman. And Greg had just ran the video of that, and Devin took exception and then took down his exception off Twitter. Um, but basically, uh, what he was saying is true. Uh, and I don't know that board was necessarily the right word, but when you're up 21 to nothing from a defensive caller's standpoint, the one thing you don't want to do is give up a quick score, mm-hmm. right? And Atlanta doesn't throw the ball very well or very often, uh, but if you're gonna if you're gonna bring a lot of pressure up twenty one to nothing, they may hit one right, a man to man coverage somewhere along the line, and you just don't want to make it easy for them. So what they did was they played a lot more zone, a lot more cover two. They played off the receivers a little bit, and you know to to Atlanta's credit, they kept running the ball and they ran it effectively and they ran it really well and they got back in the game, and and I think you know it, it was sort of a function of the score, and the other thing that happened was. The offense started playing poorly. They went three and out uh, several times. um, And then, you know, when Atlanta converted some third and longs, all of a sudden you've got 12 play drives, 14 play drives. It it was a 1 o'clock game. And they hadn't played any 1 o'clock games in Tampa for a long time. And those guys were gassed. You know, those players were playing 65, 60, 66 defensive snaps. And you start getting rotation at the defensive line. You you just can't sustain you know that level of play that they had in the first half when they when they shut them out. So there was a lot of factors. There's it's not an excuse, but it is in a, in a way. Uh, I think the offense kind of kind of let off the gas first, and then the defense followed suit because I think they were just gassed. Um, and and you know you can't have that. You need to finish game. I think Steve. The one positive that I would say about this season. Uh, and they're 3-2 and two right now. I didn't think they'd get here this way. I thought 2-2, two and two, we all talked about those first four games, and I didn't think that they would win the two on the road and then lose two at home. But, but ha- however they did it, um, they're kind of where they probably are, deserve to be, but they haven't played a complete game, not mm-hmm. even close to one. Mm-hmm. You know, they've had guys out. Uh, they've had to get by with lesser receivers. Now the receivers are coming back. Now Tom is throwing the ball effectively. They still really haven't gotten the running game going all that well, although Leonard Fournette had a big day uh, rushing and receiving because they knew that they were going to get that pass in the flat all day. But, you know, defensively, really good at times, kept scores down, then got gashed by Kansas City, played a good half against Atlanta. I'm anxious to see what this team will do if they put together four quarters.
0: It'll be interesting, and and, and, although – I mean, after five games, you can say, are they going to be able to put together a four quarter? Oh, no,
1: true. I mean, true. you know,
0: you're over a quarter of the way through the season now.
1: Yeah, that's right.
0: Now, you know, you've had some injuries. The offensive line is still trying to figure it out. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't think they're run blocking very well, which is a little bothersome. Uh, yeah. You know, I, I think you know Leonard Fournette struggles. I, I, I think some of it's workload, but I think some of it's he just doesn't have the holes either. Yeah. Um, you've got to see that interior line start to gel better now, now that you're five games into game six. You need to see that. Uh, You'd like to see the run defense become a little better, Mm -hmm. and you'd like to see just consistency of the offense. Now, if Mike Evans isn't suspended in playing every game and if Chris Godwin's healthy, that's only going to help the consistency of the offense. I mean, Tom Brady hasn't had the same receivers from game to game, let alone his best ones out there That's right. So, right. if they can get healthy there, at least with their top guys, and then, you know, as we talked yesterday, whether it's Perryman or Miller or if Russell Gage is healthy or whoever is the third receiver, but if he's got Godwin and Evans there, it's going to make that offense much more consistent. And, and that's what your hope is going forward now that you've gotten through the first five weeks with the receivers change every week. Yeah. Know, that consistency will improve. And, and that, look, that's going to make the defense better, too. As you said, the defense got gassed because the offense kept yeah, going three and out. Mm-hmm. And, and you were playing a, not a prevent defense, but you were playing where, okay, they're going to drive the ball. We're going to make it hard on them. So yeah. they're going to play a lot of plays. But then our offense can't keep the ball. And, and right. as you said you got gassed, and they came back in the game. And that's that complementary football. Right. You know, sometimes, right. you know, the offense, when you're up 21, doesn't necessarily have to score, but you can't go three and out.
1: No, that's absolutely true. And 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 I, I think, you know, to your point, like with the receivers, um, you know, Mike with the suspension. Godwin plays one game and has a hamstring, misses two. Perriman has missed. Uh, Scotty Miller played probably his best game, hasn't really shown up until last week, but uh, probably played his best game. He was fast. He was physical when he needed to be. Um, but the biggest, and, and and I was talking to, uh, or exchanging some text messages with, uh, with Bruce Arians, and he said, as long as we can keep 14 healthy, we'll be okay. 14, of course, is Chris Godwin. And Chris Godwin does everything for this team. I mean, mm-hmm. you you forget like down the stretch before he got hurt and tore his ACL, he was coming off some games where he had what fifteen receptions against the Falcons one game had twelve in the game that I think that he got hurt in. Uh, he 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 does so much in the middle of the field and also in the run game, you know. And as his confidence and endurance comes back, because this is only the second full game that he's played. You know, mm-hmm. you, you talk about like a guy that. You know, when when preseason, when the training camp started, they held him out. They held him out for two weeks. And then he got on the field and he started doing some drills. And then he started doing seven on seven. And then he did some teamwork, right? But he didn't play in the preseason because it would be stupid to play him in the preseason. Why would you risk him getting hit, you know, for something that didn't count? But he still had to go through that hurdle where somebody strikes him below the waist and he gets back up and he feels okay. He goes to the Dallas game, he's playing well, and then the hamstring cranks him up about cramps up about halfway through this through the game and now he's out two games um and so he has to work himself back into shape just to get back on the field and he and he got through one game okay and last week they kind of you know after they had the 21 to lead 21 nothing lead they kind of took him out and didn't play him very much in the second half for good reason but he's now finished two games and so he just needs to stack these you know these performances so that he can be become chris godwin again and you know, Mike, of course, is a warrior. He rarely misses games, and as long the, that guy's special, right? We mm-hmm. we saw the plays that he made, laying out for the twenty-five yarder to set up one touchdown, uh, the forty-yard completion, which I thought was a touchdown. So, you know, he he's special, and 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 the offense kind of runs a little bit through Mike, but Godwin does so much in in, mm-hmm. in so many different facets of their game that if you have those two on there together, and anyone gives you anything as a third receiver you're going to be fine. And so, you know, Luke Getekie's got to play better. You know, he gave up a lot of those pressures last week. I mean, you know, Grady Jarrett had a tremendous game from the first snap. The first snap of the game, he beats Getekie and and basically Brady has to dirt the ball, you know, and, and the first snap of the of of the game. So Getekie has to has to get better much faster than he's being right now, particularly in pass protection and he was part of that sack fumble. Um, that wound up you know the controversial call and the roughing the passer penalty they they kind of have a, had a stunt at a game on and, and Getake you know didn 't pick him up fast enough on the outside. Grady Jarrett beat him, and you know the rest is as they say history. They were very fortunate there, but Luke is the weak link on that offensive line and, and he can 't be anymore he 's got to play better, so mm-hmm. we 'll see how they fare I, I I feel pretty good about their chances in Pittsburgh. Um, and then I actually feel really good about their chances against Carolina the next week so if they can get the five and two um, not the record they they want but you know what in the NFC where there's really no great teams I mean I know we're hearing a lot of run about the Eagles being five and0 oh, and Dallas now has bounced back and they're four and one those two teams play each other which is going to be a really interesting uh, contest um, the NFC NFC East probably has you know the teams with the best records in it no doubt but you know before it's all said and done is is green bay unbeatable is you know uh are the rams they've they've looked horrible up to this point they've really struggled so you know the, the n f c is wide open if you can get to five and two six and two seven and two you can probably take a a pretty good um lead there and and have a chance at at some home playoff games if uh, if you make it. Uh, we're going to get to your mailbag questions here in just a second. But first, uh, I want to tell you about May Electric Solar. If you want to save some money on your electric bill, please consider these folks. It's a family-owned and operated business. They've been installing solar electric systems for 12 years in the area. Uh, there's a lot of these fly-by-night companies. Had one knock on my door the other day. But May Electric Solar is committed to you for the long term. They guarantee their workmanship with a 30-year labor and services warranty. Plus, with every installation, you get $750 worth of surge protection for all your appliances. That is the May difference. So if you visit their Hudson showroom, May Electric displays all its products that conduct on-site testing. You can see where, uh, exactly what they're going to install. And they don't use subcontractors. It's their people, so you know exactly who's doing the job. Start saving today. Call the solar energy experts at May Electric Solar. Here's the number, 727-819-819. Two eight six two. You can schedule a free estimate, lower your electric bill all year long, preserve the quality of your appliances, and of your life through every storm season. That's Mail Electric Solar All two eight six two. All right, Steve, we got time for some mailbag questions. Let's get them started.
0: All right, David had uh, emailed us, and he said, "On your last Friday podcast, you were discussing how the Bucks' slow start on offense and lack of running game and the red zone failures." What does not playing in the preseason have to do with this bad football being played by the Bucks and throughout the NFL? Some teams seem to be okay like Kansas City and Philly.
1: Yeah, I think the teams that have had uh continuity and certainly you could you could put the Bucks on that list a little bit. Um it, it, they're probably doing better, right? Um because they've been together. Now, you know, Kansas City lost Tariq Hill, but they have next next level quarterbacks, you know, Patrick Mahomes, Jalen Hurts, at least to this point in the season, as an MVP candidate. I don't think he's going to win it, but um, they're playing very, very well. Nick Sirianni does a great job in Philly. That roster is is uh, is shaping up nicely. They know their identity. You know, they struggled with that. They didn't run the football very much early on. Now they're running it with Hurts. They're running it with uh, Sanders, you know, and, and they throw it well enough when they have to. Defense is playing well. So for whatever reason, those teams, and some of it's a function of schedule too. Let's, let's be honest. I mean, if you show me the schedule of every team in the NFL, I can go through there and go win, 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 and you know tell you within a game or two probably what their record is going to be. So I'd have to go and look at those team schedules to tell you why they got off to a fast start. The reason I think the Bucks were affected, and there's, there's several of them, but football is just not what it used to be. And what I mean by that is, you know, these guys are restricted with a lot of NFLPA rules now about how long they can practice, when they can practice, when they can wear pads, when they cannot. Um, and and now there's only three preseason games. And I think coaches are trying to navigate that in different ways, right? Because there used to be four. And when there were four, you know, the first one, you might play your starters one series, Okay. And get them out of there. Just get them the hell out of there. And just, just a chance to get their feet wet, and run the ball, whatever, and, and, and then take them out. And the second game, maybe a little bit longer, but not much longer. You know, just kind of the same thing. And then the third game was always the game where you not only wanted your starters to play a half, but to get used to coming out of the locker room and playing into the second half a little bit. Because I don't care what you say. when When it comes to football, if you've been around at youth, high school, whatever, like – there's a certain endurance that has to be reached. And what I mean by that is it's a football endurance. It's getting hit. It's, it's, it's getting up off the ground, right? It's going back out there when you're tired, not when you've just started the game or you've played a quarter or a series, that's not really football, you know, because then all of a sudden you get to the regular season and it's like, wow, this thing's moving, uh, you know, 20 times faster. And, you know, there's, there's practice speed, where you can't hit anybody. I mean, in training camp these days, there's one practice a day, not two. You can't tackle. No one tackles anybody to the ground because they're afraid of injury. Um, so it's really glorified two-hand touch. And your big guys, they don't really you know, have much contact at all um, until the pads come on. And even then, they're not allowed to tackle people. So you know, early in the year, you'll see bad tackling. You'll see bad technique. You'll see a lot of that. But for a team like the Bucks, they were together, I think, all of – what was it, 10, 11 plays, something like that against the Colts? That was it. Mm -hmm. They went for a drive for a field goal. They kicked the ball, and and all the starters went out predominantly. And so, you know, when you start a season, and I thought they played pretty well against Dallas. I thought they ran the ball okay. Um, And they got the win. You know, they didn't finish drives. You know, the red zone was an issue. The red zone's been an issue. But they moved the ball all right it just I think it takes time I don't think it's like the old days where you know Ray Perkins used to have these guys on three a days and they were you know they were in November form come August and the the problem with that was they burned out you know by the end of September their season was done because those guys were so were so burned out from it but it's just a it's just a different level and it's I think you see it across the league and that's why I think Tom Brady said the other day when he was asked about all the two-and-two two teams, he goes, well, you know what I see? A lot of bad, a lot of bad football, you know? Mm-hmm. And I think he, he would have included his team in with that, even though they were two-and-two two themselves. It's, it's just not crisp. Uh, you need time with your teams. The best teams, including the one that won the Super Bowl here in 2020, they didn't, you know, you got to go back and remember now. And there was a pandemic, and Brady was new and all that, and I remember, you know, the Berkeley prep workouts and that sort of thing. But at the end of the day, like, they're 7-5. and five. They were struggling, man. They weren't, they weren't hitting on all cylinders, and they didn't, they didn't have injuries really to cope with at that time. They were relatively healthy. They were very, one of the healthiest teams. That's why they won the Super Bowl. And it just takes time. The better teams will really get better after Thanksgiving you know, by, by the time you get around Thanksgiving, you're going to see guys, you're gonna see teams separate because they'll have their identity. If they've been fortunate with injuries that they're playing well. And I, I just think that's kind of the trajectory I see with this football team is that, you know, they changed head coaches and that doesn't sound like a big thing, but it is because he has a different philosophy than Bruce does. And we've all seen it. Um, you know, so it's going to take a little bit of time, but I, I think I I see progress each week and that's really what good teams do. They get better and better and then they hit their stride come December and then
0: when you get them in January they're playing their best ball. Well, and you talked about the consistency too or you know the Bucks this year have three new offensive linemen. Yeah. And and so some I think some of their struggle stems from that. And and we were talking about Chris Godwin before the before we got to Mailbag. And you mentioned what he does in the run game. Not only do the Bucks have three off new offensive linemen. They don't have Gronkowski and Chris Godwin blocking in the run game. And you mentioned it,
1: Gronkowski is huge in the, in the run game. Mm-hmm. You know, there were games I remember when he first got here, we were kind of uh, he, he was joking about it. it. Was I'm a blocking tight end? That's what I do. I block. Mm-hmm. There was a game against I think it was Washington, and they were worried about you know one of their defensive ends or pass rushers, and and he stayed in fifty five out of fifty six plays to mm-hmm. block, mm-hmm. didn't run a route, and they won the game. And you know, you miss that. And, of course, you miss Gronk in general. You miss his you know, greatest mm-hmm. tight end, you know, that ever played. Um, but, yeah, you got two rookie tight ends, and you're right. For two of those games when Donovan Smith went out with the elbow, they had one offensive lineman that had played the last two years. One, mm-hmm. Tristan Wirfs. The other four guys were all new, you know. We don't even talk about Robert Hainsey, which is which is remarkable because he's just taking over for Ryan Jensen. And, you know, I was on with Scott Reynolds the other day. We are talking on – um our uh, pregame show, The Insiders, shameless plug. Um, and he made a point. He said, You know, running the football and offensive line play, it's as much about attitude as technique. You, yeah, the technique is really important. I mean, it is, especially at this level, right? Because everybody can play and everybody's aggressive and everybody this and that. But Jensen brought something different. You know what I mean? He brought mm-hmm. a snarl to that group and a confidence and a little bit of a swag. And they don't have Marpet, who's a pro bowler. You know, they missed the attitude as much as anything, you know. And with Gronk, the confidence. I mean, have you ever seen a more confident player than Rob Gronkowski? You know, or a confident person? And, and, and why wouldn't he be, right? He's great. So your point is exactly right. There's a lot of changes on that offense. There was a time two or three games ago where you looked at there and you said, okay, they got Russell Gage. Uh Mike is suspended. Um, Chris isn't playing. Like, you know, who's he who's he's you know, he's doing it with Brashard Perriman again and guys like that. And and then, you know, your running back isn't getting any yards, you know, he's not getting that many carries because you fell behind twenty one to three. So a lot of reasons for sort of the struggles early on. I think you're exactly right. I think it's just the newness of everybody.
0: All right, Tommy had tweeted us. He says, Has Kyle Rudolph been a bad free agent signing? He's been inactive three of the five games. I thought he was going to come in and contribute and can't even get on the field. What's your take?
1: Well, you can look at it one of two ways. You can say that that Kyle Rudolph is a bad signing, or you can say that they had an outstanding draft class and that Cade Otten and Co'Keefe are fantastic tight ends that are exceeding all expectations and keeping Kyle Rudolph on the bench. And, you know, when they got Kyle, listen, I don't know how many uh, opportunities he had. He's at the end of his career. He played with the giants. Go look at his numbers. They didn't do much with him there. I've watched him. He, He has lost whatever foot speed he once had. He's not a very fast guy. Can't get much separation. Okay. Blocker. But the fact of the matter is, is he's essentially been beaten out by better, better younger players. And that's really a, it's not a knock on Kyle Rudolph as much as it is a compliment, you know, for the Bucks front office and their scouting staff. I mean, they they look this Kate Otten guy is going to be a really good player. Now, is he going to be Gronkowski? No, nobody is. So don't don't get it twisted. And he's got a long way to go. Uh, he's not much bigger than Cameron Bright, who was never a great blocker, but Bright learned figured out how to how to use leverage and angles, and, and he can do a credible job. Still not the guy you want as your inline blocker. I think Kate Otten is going to be a complete tight end. And he's going to get better and better. Coe keefe has been used as an H-back. He's been used in two and three tight end formations. Really good blocker. Outstanding blocker. Not very good pass catcher. So, you know, you, you got to play two of those guys to kind of combine what Gronk did by himself. Um, and then you have Cameron Bright, who, you know, is their best receiving tight end just because of his experience. But, again, 31 years old, not very fleet of foot. Uh, doesn't get much separation. Has to make a lot of combat catches. So they're struggling at the tight end position, right? And you go, well, why isn't Kyle – well, because he doesn't play any special teams. And when you, get to, when you get to Sunday, I always say this, like it's not necessarily the best 53. It's the best 53 for your team that day. And you have to consider that you're going to have to have someone run down and cover kicks, and it can't be the guys that are starting, right? So if, you, if you're missing a Cam break, you know, that was the opportunity for Kyle Rudolph to get a helmet at least that day. Uh, but when he's not playing offense, Kyle Rudolph is on the sideline. Well, who's running down and covering kicks? And that's not a insignificant thing. I mean, you're talking about snaps. You know, you might play twelve, twelve, fourteen snaps a game on special teams, and then go out there and try to play fifty or forty-five or whatever on on you know offense. That's a lot. And so when you start getting down to how many guys can we dress? You know, we can have three quarterbacks, one inactive, um, and then we've got. 46 47 players okay three of those are specialists right so you've got the punter the place the place kicker and the holder they don't play offense or defense all right so and then then I got to have guys that run down and cover kicks I got 22 starters on offense and defense so you get to that number really fast and what happens is you say all right so we're going to have Kyle Rudolph up uh, but, it, but if Brate's healthy and our other two tight ends are healthy and they can play special teams and Kyle can't, we're, we're going to use him for seven plays? We're going to use him for 10 plays? Like, you know, or do we activate this backup linebacker uh, who, who can be a backup inside linebacker and and run down and, and play every down on special teams, all of them? You know, punt, kickoff, kickoff protection, all of it. That's That's the way you're going to lean. So... I, I don't think it's a knock on Kyle, although he's at the end of the line. There's no, no question about that. I would go further. I would say, what are they getting from their free agent class, Steve? I mean, look, we knew Julio Jones had an injury history. What is Julio Jones right now? Injured. Mm-hmm. Akeem Hicks, same thing. What is he? Injured. They thought he'd be back in four weeks, or they would have put him on IR. It's been four weeks. He had the plantar fascia. He, he's still out. Um you know you, Russell Gage, how much has he done really? Mm-hmm. you know, and he was their big acquisition before they decided to take another shot on a Julio Jones right Russell Gage was going to be their third receiver mm-hmm. he's been he's been beat up and hasn't really contributed much. He had the one game where he had like what twelve catches, but it was for like under a hundred yards, seven yards a catch, and a touchdown that's his best game, you know, so none of their free agent class per se uh. And, and, you know, outside of Shaq Mason, who's played a lot, but I'm not overly impressed with Shaq Mason. The two safeties have been okay, too. The safeties have been all right. I think, yeah, I think so. I think those guys have done a decent job. But, again, you've got one hurt, Mm -hmm. you know. Ken O'Neal hasn't played. Uh, Logan Ryan's out for the last couple weeks. He's hurt. So, you know, it doesn't matter. It's, it's really hard with, with free agents. I think they were just kind of filling in the cracks a little bit and getting some experience, which is a smart thing to do when you have players, you know, that you want to win a Super Bowl, is you get guys that have been in the fire before. You get guys, you, you know, don't need much coaching. You go out there, they know what they're doing, and they play. But older players, and this is the oldest team in the league, Brady excluded because he's, he's the unicorn, right? Or the goat, as the case may be. But everybody else, as they get older, You don't get healthier, you don't get more productive. And that's been the case with the entire free agent class, and that includes Kyle Rudolph.
0: All right, we got a couple emails, uh, just kind of a comment from uh, John and Harry specifically. Uh, And I'll paraphrase them because they're a little long. But basically, on the controversial roughing the passer call against Tom Brady, no one is mentioning that the obvious pass uh, interference call they missed on Scotty Miller, the play before, that would have given the Bucs a first down there. And just wondering why no one was mentioning those calls.
1: Well, I don't know that no one has mentioned it. I, I know what you're saying. like, and, and really, you know, this is the thing about referees in general and, and you know, pointing to a bad call here or there. There's, look, there's going to be bad calls in every game, right? What you hope is that it, that, that particular call doesn't decide the game. Um, and it, it's funny because there's so much focus on – you know, the roughing the passer penalty, which I agree was an, to me, it was an egregious penalty. Like JD, you know, Grady Jarrett did everything he was supposed to do. Uh, he even, you know, actually rolled Brady over on top of him, uh, before he ended up on top of Brady. But that aside, that wouldn't have guaranteed victory for the Falcons. They would have gotten the ball back with three minutes to go, but a touchdown would have won the game. And they, they were, you know, only down by five. They were playing really, really well. Uh, Five or six what was it 21 15 i guess six but there's all those other plays you know in a game and and they're all equally important and and it to to their you know the people that wrote this uh you know note to us uh this question for our mailbag they're right it looked like pass interference but now pass interference much like roughing the passer is a judgment call you know and it depends on the crew. And I, I don't think Jerome Boger's crew is very good. In fact, they were taken out of the playoffs after that wild card game that they had last year with Cincinnati, I think it was. Um, and the NFL said, yeah, we've seen enough from this crew. So I don't think they're good to begin with. But, you know, could you have called pass interference? Absolutely. What I will say about that play, even though it looked like he interfered, one, I think the ball was going to go out of bounds. Two, uh, and whether that matters or not, you can decide. Two, when a, when a defensive back, even if he's got contact, and they're supposed to, the point of emphasis is supposed to be to eliminate the, the illegal contact this year, and they didn't do it on that play. But as long as he leans and looks, right? If you see a defensive back never turn around and face the ball, he's going to get the flag. If you see a defensive back leaning into the receiver but then gets his head around and tries to play the ball, most times he won't get it. So you got to lean and look, you know, and a lot of times defensive backs are in good position, but then they panic, you know, because they don't know where the ball is. They don't get their head around, and that's when they interfere. I think he sold it pretty well, like he was playing the ball, uh, and for that reason, they didn't get the flag. But absolutely, you, you know, in 65 plays, you can probably pick out, look, there was a play uh, in early in the game where uh, they have a breakout, Atlanta has a breakout run, and Antoine Winfield Jr., they got a hold of his jersey. You know, it's an absolute holding penalty. And, and the line judge is right there. And you're saying, what are you watching, man? But do we want a game full of flags or do you want them to play football? You know, because probably every other play, somebody is probably committing some some foul. Um, but, you know, because it's the quarterback, and then we saw it followed up, you know, on, on the next, what, uh, Monday night game with Kansas City and Chris Jones, this has become the top the topic, and and it really is threatening to change football. You know, um, and I think what's the worst thing that can happen, in my opinion, is that players, cognizant of this, decide, you know what, I'm at the quarterback, but I better just kind of hold him and and not take him to the ground and and not finish my play, because then it starts to look like two hand touch, and in fact it is. All of a sudden, then. You're, you're playing Pro Bowl rules, and you know what they did to the Pro Bowl? They canceled it because nobody wanted to see that crap. So they've got to let these guys be football players. They know what they're doing back there. I'm all for protecting guys. I'm all for you know uh, limiting head, head contact and all of that. You know, you want to make the game as safe as possible, but it's never going to be safe. You know, if you want to be safe, don't play base, don't play football. We'll play baseball, but don't play football. Uh, that it's not a safe sport. It's just not. Guys get hurt. It's a phys- It's a collision sport. Don't don't confuse it with a contact sport. A contact sport is basketball, where there's a lot of contact, right underneath the hoop, and this, that, and the other. Well, but but the object of football is to collide with somebody, and to, to impose your physical will against them. And so it's just different, man. Don't play it.
0: All right, Bucks2022 uh, uh, tweeted us. He says, regarding the kid running across the field at the same time the extra point was kicked, why didn't the play get stopped? Any comments on the kid running on the field insanity? And should parents be banned from attending any future games in these situations?
1: You know, I I only caught the end of that live. I didn't notice him until the kick was through the uprights. And so my guess is because it occurred on the other end of the field um, and they knew or had a reasonable expectation it wasn't going to interfere with the play, they let the play go on. I think if the officials had seen it they probably would have stopped play, but I'm not sure they did because like I said, they're they're kicking from the you know 23-yard line on one side and this is occurring on the 15 or or 20-yard line on the other side of the field. So um my guess is that they just didn't see it. As far as you know, should you be banned? I mean it it would be worth a conversation, you know. Uh I I I can't fathom having a child at a game that in any way, shape, or form would make it over a wall onto the field. I just I don't know how that would ever happen, you know, without my consent or total ignorance. Um and it just seems to me that uh and then watching some of the videos that were posted, you know, from the family and the mom and afterwards, they didn't seem to be, you know all that torn up about it or remorseful or whatever. And But it's a juvenile and, you know, you can't, you're obviously not going to treat him as an adult, even though, uh, you know, there seemed to be a a fairly significant takedown, uh, of the child who, who fortunately was okay. So those are, you know, what I will say is if you go onto the field, um, you better be prepared for, for bad treatment because no one knows your intent. And, and I mean, again, mm-hmm. this was a child. So I'm, you're not asking for IDs down there, right? If, if if somebody looks like a child and you can, you know, you might treat them differently. But if it's just you see someone out of the corner of your eye running onto a field, you have to assume, unfortunately, that they're there to to hurt somebody, you know, that they could potentially, um, you know, have bad intentions, mm-hmm. whether, you know, whether I don't know if they're going to be armed, but, you know. Uh, but but it's not a it's not a, it's not a place for anybody. You know that, and I'm surprised, quite frankly. And we've seen this now, and I think the the, the person that ran onto the field at another game is now, uh, maybe going to file suit or something or whatever uh, that got taken down by one of the one of the uh, the players. But to me, expect rough treatment because these these athletes don't know what your intentions are. And they're not there to pat you on the back and give you a, an autograph and send you on your way. So if you run into the field, uh, you know, there's plenty of warnings about that. And unfortunately I think it's not going to end well for you, but uh, yeah, I, I just don't think they saw it. That's why they didn't stop the play. And you want to ban the parents for life. I, you'd have to look at the circumstances and the age of the person and all that stuff. Uh, so I'm not really into that per se, but Uh, It wouldn't surprise me if they decided to do that. I I don't know. Um, I haven't heard that they're going to, by the way. So it's a case-by-case thing.
0: Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If Only in Theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. All right, we'll do a couple quick baseball questions here. We can do these quick. I'd like your thoughts. Uh, Frank had tweeted or emailed. I'd like your thoughts on Clearwater potentially it, se- spending up to three hundred million dollars on a Philly stadium upgrades versus the battle for financing of a p- potential new Rays stadium, spring training versus an entire season.
1: Well, and I, I I actually asked John Romano about this. I'm not, you know, there's a political spin on this. There's the penny for Pinellas tax is what they're using for this, and um, it's available not just to uh, Clearwater, but you know, to anyone in Pinellas County, uh, including the Rays. And so this is an either or proposition. I mean, these are separate municipalities. The Phillies have been a huge part of the growth and, um, you know, tourism in Clearwater. Mm -hmm. So they have to be responsible for their own fiscal, uh, viability and investments. And so if that money is available to them because they're part of Pinellas County, I say good for them, you know, for years and years, uh, up until 1998, when they started playing with the Tampa Bay Rays, this was our industry, was was spring training. And to a large extent, I mean, look at the anchor that the the Yankees have put in Tampa with Legends Field and, and the, the training complex over there and the amount of tourism, uh, people from New York and in and, and the Northeast that come down here to watch spring training and fill the hotels. We are a tourist state. We are a tourist industry. So... Um, I, it's not, if it was an either or situation, we could have a conversation with it b- about it, but it's really not. I think Clearwater's doing what they need to do and probably should do.
0: I also, if I re- if I read this properly, they the estimate's about three hundred million. There hasn't been talk about how much the Phillies are putting in, how much Clearwater will be putting in, et cetera. Yeah, it's just kind of the price tag. Cost. It's not like yeah. it, Clearwater's going to pay all three hundred million. I don't know. I don't think yeah. they've disclosed kind of the breakdown or what they're thinking at this point, but yeah. All right, we'll wrap up on this last question here then. Sean had uh, tweeted us about the new Major League Baseball infield shift rules. He says, do you foresee Canadian football-esque pre-snap motion? Infielders would be in legal position as the pitch is released, yet near their shift spot by the time the ball would arrive off the bat. Sounds crazy, but I'd sure try it.
1: Um, I think there's going to be a lot of people experiment with this. And you, you talked about it one night, Steve, and I – hadn't really given it much thought i think it's it's really brilliant is that uh okay so the infielders have to have their feet on the dirt but the outfielders don't and Mm -hmm. i I don't know and correct me if i'm wrong have they limited the number of outfielders you can have
0: well you have to have the four infielders okay but i don't think you... you i mean could you move the left fielder to be behind the second baseman and take that shift position Sure, as long
1: as you play with the two guys behind yeah. them, I don't right? think
0: there's any restrictions on the outfielder. So could and you put all three outfielders on the same side of the field, just in the out, in the grass in the outfield?
1: Sure. Yeah. Why not? Yeah. Because they're outfielders. And we've seen the Rays do that. We've seen them declare an entire field open. If they want to hit the left field, hit the left field. We, you know, they've got such athletic guys that this is where the athleticism of the Rays might actually benefit them is that they can play a guy in left center and a guy in right center and cover the whole, whole darn stadium. Mm-hmm. You know, if they have a, a relative expectation with all the analytics of where the guy's going to hit the ball, you know, how many times do you see an entire side of an infield open, and you think, why wouldn't you just knock the ball through that hole? And the hitters don't, can't do it, won't try to do it. They're trying to launch everything. They're, you know, they're staying within whatever their swing is, and they're giving you hits. They're giving you bunt hits. They're giving you ground ball hits, and and still it doesn't happen, right? Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, modify a shift using your outfitters. I think it's going to be – and what's going to be interesting is those teams that make a lot of contact, maybe they don't hit a lot of home runs like the Rays did in last year, but have really athletic players in the field like the Rays do, mm-hmm. they may end up benefiting from the lack of shifts the same way they did from,
0: from the shift. I, th- I think the more athletic infields are going to have an advantage. And Here's yeah. another thing, and I don't know – every baseball park is different. I don't know if the infield is. Could you make the infield dirt bigger? Could you add a f- couple feet? Back?
1: I don't know. That's a great question. Yeah. What Like, could you, could you, how about a, how about a skin infield? Well, about, well, no grass in the entire, we'll be like the Japanese baseball yeah. where they have no grass at all.
0: Well, I don't know if you want the ball going through faster, but what I'm saying is, is you know, the outfield, let's say yeah, the cuts you, a little longer, your yeah, cuts, you know, little, it's, it's say it's, you know, a hundred feet from the plate, whatever it is yeah, now it's 110 yeah. or right. You know, I don't I, know I don't, that. I don't know if there's a great you know, restrictions of that based on your team. You could go, hey, let's just back this up a little bit. And <laughs>
1: that's right. My infielder is 110 feet from home plate. Right. Uh, it's a great question, and we'll have to see what the uh, look whatever whatever angles that can be can be played. The Rays will play them. I promise you that they they will do that. Great questions today on your mailbag. You can submit those anytime to us on Twitter at SportsDayTB. My Twitter at NFLStroud. Or my email, rstrout at com. Just a reminder, May Electric Solar uh, is our sponsor. They can save you money on your electric bill. They've been in business 12 years. You can get $750 worth of service protection and a 30-year labor and services warranty. Uh, Call them. Start saving money today. The solar energy experts, May Electric Solar, 727-819-2862. Great weekend coming up in college football. Of course, the Butts at Pittsburgh. We'll be back to talk about all of it on Monday. For Steve Burst I'm Stroud of the Tempe Times. Have a great day, everybody.